podcast is brought to you by the Administrative Committee of the Presbyterian Church in America, promoting the unity, purity, and progress of the church. Learn more about the Administrative Committee and support its work at pcaac.org. This is Gifts and Graces. Each episode, we bring you a seminar, sermon, or discussion from church leaders across the country and around the world designed to promote the unity, purity, and progress of the church. All Christians have communion in each other's gifts and graces, says the Westminster Confession. So on this podcast, we help you and your church benefit from the gifts and graces of other parts of Christ's body. On this episode of Gifts and Graces, we get to hear from Billy Park on Korean relations. Billy is an ordained Presbyterian minister and has been in ministry for over 25 years. Today, he serves as the Korean relations representative for the PCA. This was originally recorded as a seminar delivered at the 2014 General Assembly. Let's listen as Billy envisions a better future for Korean relations in the PCA. My name is Billy Park. And thank you for coming to uh, the seminar called uh, Korean Americans in the PCA Envisioning a Better Future. I'm going to be speaking in English uh, because this seminar is actually supposed to be informative for um, uh, Koreans in the PCA, Korean Americans in the PCA, as well as for the Anglo brother or everyone else. And hopefully this seminar I I could uh, be able to teach to others. And, and to refine as well. And I, I would actually also recommend uh, contacting Reverend Henry Koh because about uh, I, I, part of preparation for the seminar, I read a, um, a paper that he wrote uh, about uh, 2011. And so some of the things that's kind of blended into the seminar, but um, you know, he kind of wrote a lot of things about envisioning things for the future as well. And so I really recommend you get that article from him and read that article as well. Um, So today's seminar is really, um, let me just introduce myself. Uh, uh, I'm I'm no expert, but is my introduction, which means, uh, you know, I don't have a PhD in this subject. Uh, I haven't done extensive research in this subject, but uh, I've kind of lived through the subject that I'm speaking about, uh, Korean Americans in the PCA. And when I use the term Korean American, by the way, I'm using it uh, sort of broadly to include both Koreans, in the PCA, as well as Korean-American, English-speaking. So I'm kind of using that term as uh, Korean, Korean-Americans in the PCA. Uh, so I've been a PCA pastor for 10 years, even though I was ordained in the Goshen denomination, very conservative Presbyterian denomination. I transferred into the PCA 10 years ago. And for the past one year, I've been working uh, part-time as the Korean relations representative for the uh, administrative committee, State of Clerk's Office. Uh, I have over 25 years, I graduated seminary 25 years ago uh, from Princeton Seminary, then I went to Gordon-Conwell for my THM uh, to clean up my theology. But uh, I've been in ministry for 25 plus years in Korean American ministry, and I'm also a third generation minister. uh, My father's pastor and uh, my grandfather's pastor, and as I was growing up, I felt a lot of pressure from that, but as I really came to embrace kind of the legacy of my family, 
I take that as a real, um, not so much a human pride thing, but just a real something to, uh, that I cherish, uh, the, the legacy of faith that's in my family. And so uh, Presbyterian history and uh, my family history, Korean-American history, is kind of blended together for me. And so I have a deep appreciation uh, for that. Um, I want to start with this map. This map is, uh, as you can see, it's the map of the Korean presbyteries. There are presently eight uh, Korean language presbyteries, KLP. And I made this map last year when I started working for the AC. And um, the gray area is uh, where the boundaries are not designated. And so we have some overtures this year to define those boundaries. Uh, but so this map kind of shows you uh, the demographics. So the way I'm speaking about the future, in, in some ways I'm speaking very little about the future. I'm going to raise some issues, but I'm going to speak about the present and some of the past, and then that leads us to, because envisioning the future has a lot to do with understanding our present situation and where we've come from, where we are, and where we're headed. So that's kind of it's past, present, future. But uh, right now we have... Um, this statistic is, is gleaned from, every year they, the PCA produces a, a, a book called the, the Yearbook. So the 2014 Yearbook just came out of print, uh, came into print, uh, just, it was printed just this few weeks ago. And um, I counted, <laughs> you know, I went in there, so I just physically counted what's in there for the Korean presbyteries. And so th these are the numbers from the Yearbook, which is actually 2013 stats. So 2014 yearbook, 2013 stats. So presently, we have 202 uh, churches in the eight language presbyteries. I'm sure uh, maybe Henry Ko can tell us some other, in the other presbyteries, how many Korean churches there are. But there are 202 in the Kore uh, Korean churches in the uh, Korean language presbyteries, and there are 487 divided into these, uh, uh, these presbyteries. Right. Yeah. Do you know how many? Yeah. There are some, I know. Yeah. Yeah. If you could help me with that number. Okay. Yeah. So here, um, so I could only go by, I, I was trying to find some, you know, because we have a lot of numbers being thrown around, but a lot of times we, we say, you know, 200 churches, 250 churches, and so I'm trying to. Uh, get to a place where we have some ref source referencing, and so the yearbook uh, to be updated, you know, and so forth. So Korean Americans in the PCA, there are presently 202 churches out of uh, the count for the 2013 official count that will go out now is uh, the state of clerk will say there are 18, uh, 1,808 1, churches. Okay, that's 11.2%. There are eight presbyteries out of 81. If the overture passes to split Southwest, Korean Southwest, there'll be nine out of uh, 82, which will make it 10.9%. <laughs> and then ministers, there's uh, 800, uh, 487 in the Korean language presbyteries, but I've identified through counting the yearbook that there are at least 80 that have distinct Korean names. And some of them, Lees are from South White Lees, but... Uh, <laughs> Um, but I've actually identified those people as well. There are some people, uh, but uh, there's about 80 in other uh, presbyteries. Uh, 
Actually, there are 26 presbyteries, other than the Korean language presbyteries, where there's at least one Korean. Okay? And so, so it's right to say Koreans are about 10, we can say 10 to 15 percent, but it's really 10 to 13 percent of the PCA is, um, is, is Korean. So, but presently, also, when you look at the yearbook, Korean Americans in the PCA, there's actually no one in the permanent committees of the PCA. There used to be someone in the uh, SJC. Brian Lee was in the SJC. And also William Jin used to be in the um, uh, SJC. Uh, and then William Jin was in the Covenant, uh, Covenant College, I believe. He was uh, in that committee as well. But um, the permanent committee really represents kind of the, the leadership of, uh, of the PCA. And so part of our envisioning the future is we actually need more Korean, that zero to turn into three or four <laughs> people. Okay? Uh, special committees, there is one person, uh, Sang Yong Park, who's in the Committee for Interchurch Relations. Okay? Hey, Lloyd. And then there's uh, 19 chaplains that I've identified. There are Nine missionaries, and we had just had one of them walk in. Lloyd <laughs> is in there, and maybe he could help us with that list a little better. But I've identified nine um, Korean missionaries or Korean Korean American missionaries in working with MTW. That's in our MTW list. And there is one RUF person, Eddie Park, who happens to be someone I pastored at, when I was a campus pastor at Brown University. And the reason, part of the reason why that RUF is there, I would say. You know, I was there, and our church, which we used to be a KAPC work, we'd merge with a PCA church, and that campus ministry became RUF uh, of Brown and Rhode Island School of Design. And so Eddie Park is, is there. Uh, we also have Korean Americans in significant positions, and actually all three of us are here in this room. <laughs> so, uh, in the MNA, uh, Henry Ko is the Korean Ministries Coordinator, and he is an instrumental person in why we have a lot of people in the PCA, I believe. Uh, in the MTW, just this past year, this year uh, Lloyd Kim was, uh, uh, I guess, uh, appointed or elected as um, inter international director. Is that correct? Is that the right term? And so I'm really so happy about that, Lloyd. I'm so happy you're here. And I started working uh, as the Korean relations rep, which sounds like a big title, but really I actually uh, asked to be in this position part-time as more like to help with the administration and cleaning up some of the statistics and so forth and uh, to help um, not so much better communications to the Koreans cause, because my Korean is limited, uh, as you'll find out with just by talking to me, but... But uh, I think I can really communicate well and understand some of the workings of the AC and the PCA and to try to communicate those kind of things and connect Korean Americans, both Korean speaking and English speaking, to the PCA. And then we have Michael Oh, even though he doesn't directly, he's an MTW missionary. Uh, he was uh, elected as the executive director, CEO of Luzon Movement. And so he is probably one of the highest profile PCA uh, Korean American pastors. So, He's someone we definitely need to know who, who they are. Uh, Koreans and in, in, in Presbyterianism. In Korea, uh, Wikipedia, this statistic is from Wikipedia, but uh, Wikipedia says, and I've, you know, I talked to some various pastors and they verified the statistics, 9 million Presbyterians out of about 15 million 
uh, Christians in Korea. You know, I believe this statistic is actually exaggerated <laughs> because according to Operation World, where they do, this is actually a quote from the Operation World, and they say, the, uh, when you look at the Operation World statistics, Operation World is the mission's, uh, it's, a, it's a great resource about how to pray for countries and understanding what's going on in different countries. And in the Operation World, one of the things it says about Koreans is that the huge number of double affiliations, because there's a lot of, you know, it says like 15 million Christians, but if you add all the, all the denominational things, it, it comes out to like, I forget the exact number, but it comes out like 20 million or something like that. The numbers don't match, which means that they're reporting, that what people are reporting and what's actually there is not, is not matching. You know, kind of like what's happening in the PCA too, so that's one of the things we're trying to clear up. But it says, the huge number of double-affiliated can be attributed to countless denominational schisms, inconsistent enumeration mechanisms in churches, and widespread failure to account for dual and transfer membership, especially within Protestant bodies. The actual number of Protestants may be nearly half of what is claimed in official denominational reports. So if you take that... It might not be 9 million, it might be 5 million <laughs> or 4 million. Maybe it's more of an accurate stat. We, we don't know. But, but one thing clear about this statistic, whether it's uh, right or wrong, I'm not trying to say it's right or wrong. What, what I'm trying to show you is, even if you, it's grossly exaggerated, Presbyterians are significant you know, in the Korean Christian landscape. If anything, we're the majority of the Christians in Korea and even in the United States. And that's why Koreans gravitate to Presbyterian names and bodies and so forth. And that's why, one of the reasons why. Why do we have so many Presbyterians or Koreans in the PCA? Well, because it's Presbyterian. <laughs> that's one of the reasons. And every Presbyterian body, every seminary that kind of leans towards Presbyterian will have a significant number of Koreans by the fact that there are more Presbyterians in Korea, probably double the number of Presbyterians in Korea, double or triple, depending on the stats, than there are Presbyterians in America. Uh, looking at the past, I'm going to just... Uh, this is something that's really dear to my heart, even though I'm a Korean-American who at one time kind of tried to reject my Korean roots. I, as I came older and I started to embrace the heritage of my fathers and so forth, I started to have a deep appreciation, welcome, I started to have a deep appreciation for, I think this mic's a little close, I started to have a deep appreciation, why is there no feedback, okay, is it alright? I started to have a deep appreciation for uh, the history of Korean Christianity, and uh, I wanted to run through quickly these 10 points, and this is for, uh, for Koreans here, this might be just basic review, but the reason why I want to do this is because when I, I was part of two Anglo Presbyteries and I was part of a Korean language Presbytery and in both of them I was part of the Credentials Committee and I, uh, I started to ask this question, I said, when it came to church history, I asked the question, um, outside of Western Christianity, you know, Christianity in Europe and America, can you tell me anything about Christianity in the other parts of the world. Because Christianity in 1900, 90% of Christians were in the West, basically Europe, North America. But according to Operation World and a lot of missiologists, that now probably more like 70, 80% 
of the world evangelicals and the world Christians are in, the, in Latin America, is in Africa, is in Asia. And the, it's kind of moved that way. And so really to be unaware of what's going on in other parts, uh, not only Korean Christianity, but you know, Chinese Christianity and other, the history of Christianity in these lands. And so it's very important. So I'm going to quickly review. There are 10 things. The Catholics were there first, 1770, a Korean envoy to China brought back a Catholic book and Catholicism thrived for a little while. But in 1800s, the Korean uh, government, they crushed the Catholics. And I don't know exactly the nature of this, but it's reported that 8,000 plus Catholics were killed during this time. Uh, it wasn't until 1884 when Dr. Horace Allen, who actually wanted to go to China, he was a diplomatic uh, medical missionary, uh, he wanted to go to China, but he ended up in Korea serving at the diplomatic post and helping out the diplomats with their medicine. But uh, there was a riot, and one of the uh, relatives of the Queen Min got stabbed and was about to die, but was treated by Dr. Horace Allen, and the person was cured and gained royal favor. And he requested a hospital to be established in, in Seoul uh, that became Severance Hospital uh, in Yonsei University. But uh, that was the beginning. So you can say 1884 is the beginning of missions, Protestant missions in Korea. But really, some people say it's 1885 when, because of the work of Horace Allen, uh, in 1885, Easter Sunday, I believe is April 5th, I'm not sure about the exact date, uh, Easter Sunday, on the same ship, a Presbyterian and Methodist together, because they wanted to say, not who's first, they wanted to cooperate together. And this spirit of cooperation seen in this same boat ride was one of the instrumental reasons why there was successful missions movement in, in uh, Korea. But uh, 1885, Horace Underwood, Henry Appenzeller. I know almost nothing about these guys except their names and the date. Okay? Uh, but... Uh, Fourthly, in 1903, January 13th, uh, 103 uh, Koreans immigrated to Hawaii to the sugar plantations. This is very significant because in Korea, you, uh, I, think, I think it was, uh, was it President Bush? Uh, he signed, uh, he de declared the 100-year anniversary of Korean immigration on 2003. He signed the declaration. That's a very important event. And most of those people were Christians because who will immigrate to U.S. other than Christians? Because they consider it a Christian land, so more Christians immigrate to the United States. Uh, so not all Christians, but that's when the um, church, really you can say that's the establishment of the first church uh, in Hawaii. Uh, 1907, 1910, there's a period of revival in Pyongyang, the capital of North Korea today, but uh, it was called the Jerusalem of the Orient or the East where tens of thousands of people were uh, convicted by the preaching of God's word, repenting of their sins, and there was mass revival. And uh, I don't know a whole lot about this movement myself, but uh, it's supposed to be really like the Pentecost of Korean history. And uh, there's some beautiful stories out of this that there needs to be some book about this in English that's disseminated in the PCA, uh, because this is a beautiful history. And uh, right after it, in some sense, just as the early church, Pentecost led to persecution, there was revival preparing the way for persecution under Japanese annexation 
1910 to 1945, uh, there was severe persecution, and it was through that persecution that the church got refined. And some of the most beautiful stories of faith uh, is told during that time of persecution. Second wave of persecution in the Korean War, uh, just even right before the Korean War, the communists kind of coming down and kind of invading and uh, really crushing, um, I, I believe, I don't know the exact number, but you know, they killed a lot of Christians. Uh, and so um, I'm going to tell you the story of two of them. Uh, this picture is uh, a picture of the, what's called the prison saints. These are people who were scheduled to be executed on August 18, 1945. Japanese surrendered on August 15th, and they were released on August 17th. And this is the picture that was taken uh, soon after. I don't know if it's taken on August 17th, but it was taken soon after their release. And these are some of these, what's called living martyrs. They were scheduled to die. They didn't die. They held to the faith uh, when all they had to do is say, I'm, I'm going to bow down to the shrine. You know, I'm not going to resist the Japanese. And they would be free, but they were imprisoned, tortured. Uh, uh, I believe, a, a, I don't know the exact number of those who were killed, but uh, some people say it's in the 50s or 70s, or some people say even up to 100 and something people. Uh, one of the questions I asked in the Korean language presbytery among second generation people, I said, do you know, can you name two people in Korean church history? <laughs> Who are the two most significant people in Korean church history? There were the white missionaries, American missionaries, Horace Allen, Horace Underwood, Presbyterian missionaries. But these two Presbyterian, Presbyterian pastors, I believe, are the... I would like to say they are the two most prominent people in Korean church history. One is Ju Gichar Moksanim, Gichar Chu, who resisted Japanese shrine worship. He was tortured and he was killed in Japanese prison in 1944. Not in Japan, but in Korea. Korean uh, Japanese occupied. Uh, Son Yang Won Moksanim, uh, Yang Won Son, uh, he was a Presbyterian minister too. Uh, he was a pastor to lepers. He would go to the leper colony to minister to them, embrace them when no one would touch them. Uh, he was called the saint of love. And he had two sons who were killed by the communists in 1948. And he embraced the killer of his sons and asked to adopt him as his own son. And supposedly the story goes that he adopted his son. And that's why there was a book. It's a cheesy title, but it really, if you think about it, this 1945 40, you know, atomic bomb, right? They called the atomic bomb of love. So his actions in loving the murderer of his two sons was like an atomic bomb that displayed the love of God to the <coughs> Koreans. And so he was actually killed. He could have fled the, the north where he was when the communists were coming. He could have freed himself, but he wanted to stay with the people in the north, and he knew he would probably get killed, and he did. He got killed in 1950 because he stayed with the people he was ministering to. And so these two people, really, if you say, why are there so many Christians in Korea? The missionaries did a good job of cooperating together. I mean, it's the Holy Spirit, you can say. But really, if you think, there were men like these in Korean church history. There were a lot of other people. I don't, there's a whole lot of people I don't even know about 
But there's a few, I can name you two. These are the two that I would name. Uh, these are not necessarily de- dealing with exactly Korean church, but they have significant impact on the church because U.S. Immigration Act of 1965, you know, there was a law that limited unfavored nations for coming into this country. You know, Korea was one of the unfavored nations. North Europeans were favored. But uh, in 1965, it opened the door for, quote-unquote, the unfavored nations. So, uh, so the law changed in 1965, and so by the time 1970s really became the wave of Korean immigration, and who would come first from Korea? I mean, poor people, or you know, obviously well-educated people came first because they had the opportunity. Then people who were fleeing some of the problems in Korea, sufferings in Korea, hoping for a better land. But who would come to a land that's known as a Christian country? It would be the Christians. And a lot of the Christians that are in Korea came to the United States, and then in, uh, churches started to sprout out from 1970s. My father uh, started the first Korean church in New Jersey in 1970. I immigrated here in 1971. He came earlier to study. But uh, going back here... Uh, the Seoul Olympics was kind of a pinnacle of, you know, Korea has made it. We have the Olympics. And so out of the ashes, Korea has come out to become a world nation, a nation in the world. And so the Korean Olympics is a source of great pride for Koreans, as well as the 2002 World Cup. Um, and, but in the 1990s, you know, sort of the mixture of success out of the ashes, but then economic bust, you know, I don't know all the details about it, but you know, there was the IMF uh, th- issues, the Korea was, kind of grew too fast, it kind of like collapsed, and then it kind of resurrected again, and it's a booming economy. Now it's the 11th largest economy. Uh, six out of the 10 largest churches in the world are in Korea, with the second largest mission-sending agency. There's a lot to be proud of as a, as a Korean, and so, uh, and by the way, if you give me your email, I will send you this PowerPoint. So if you, there's a lot of things on here that you want to keep or you want to keep a note of, send me your email and then I will, I will send you this PowerPoint. Okay, so those are the 10 things. And this is from the Operation World. There's a lot of prayer points. I picked out three praises and three challenges. In the Operation World, they always tell you, these are the things we should praise God for. These are the challenges that you need to be praying for. And they lay out these three for Korea, South Korea. And there's historic growth. Korea is, you know, biggest churches, uh, mission-sending agencies, out of the ashes. You know, Korea has uh, shown incredible growth. The commitment to prayer, early morning prayer, Sebekido, uh, is, a, is a facet of Korean Christianity that's to be commended. Uh, commitment to prayer, missions movement, second largest mission-sending agency. These are things to just praise God for of what God is doing in the Korean church. Some of the challenges, it lays out four of them. They lay out a lot more, but I, I picked out these four. Um, stagnation and saturation. Korea is flatlined in terms of numbers of Christians. It's actually going down. The population of Korea is actually going down slightly. You know, I think it's minus 0.4%. Uh, you know, it's been going down. So, so Korea is stagnating. Christians are stagnating in terms of numbers, but really in terms of a lot of the churches, they have been kind of stagnated. Uh, second issue is spiritual pride. Uh, maybe part of because, hey, we came out of the ashes, we, have, we are Koreans, we've made it. <laughs> and so, you know, 
there can be a tendency, there's great things to be humbly prideful of, proud of, of how God has worked in our life, but really, in a sense, the spiritual pride is, is a problem in the Korean church. You know, we should be thankful to God, but we cannot be proud that we did it with our own hands. And this is one of the issues. Spiritual pride. This is not my list. This is Operation World. People who are praying through this book are seeing this. Okay? They know us. Division and schism. Before, well, well, some divisions were good because there was one Presbyterian church in 1945, before 1945. But because of the compromises, Japanese things started to fracture after the, after the Japanese occupation. Now there are over 100. How many? How many? 200? Hundreds. New ones starting every day almost. Presbyterian denominations. Divisions and schisms really based on pride. You know, personality conflicts, leadership conflicts, not really theology. But there are some theological divides, but it's mostly personality. And we know that, right? And then the fourth one, lack of transformational impact in society. They see big churches, big budgets, tens of million dollar budgets, and very little impact on society. Actually, Koreans, uh, Koreans, when they were poor, they had actually sometimes more impact on the society than when, when they're rich now. So that's a detriment to the Korean. So there's a lot of challenges. But in looking at this, and that's in Korea, but you can say very similar things of our, our church in America as well, Korean church in America. But I want to, as we look into the future, I want to just... Um, give you a paradigm. I put perspective, paradigm, worldview, framework, reality, how to look at reality. And for the Christian, the paradigm, I mean, we call it a reform paradigm, creation, there's creation, redemption, creation, fall, redemption. But, but I like to use this idea of the cross and the resurrection and the second coming. And when you look at this paradigm of the cross and resurrection, is that the cross tells us we shouldn't boast of ourselves. Jesus died for our sins. He didn't die because we were good. He died because we were bad. Right? So if you look at the paradigm of the cross and the resurrection, we should have a low view of what man can do. But when you look at the resurrection... You should have a high view of what God can do. So the cross and the resurrection and the second coming of Christ, in one sense, the cross makes us pessimistic about human endeavors. But at the same time, when we look at our, through the lens of the resurrection and the second coming of Christ, the Christians should be the most optimistic people not because we are post-millennialists, if you're familiar with those kind of thoughts. It's because we believe in the resurrection of Jesus Christ and we believe that Christ will come again and he will reign forever and ever and he will be the King of kings and the Lord of lords. And if we believe in the cross and the resurrection, we are pessimistic in one sense about what the world can do, about what we can do. 
But we are incredibly optimistic of what God can do. And I tell you the story of Adoniram Judson. If you don't know this man's name, you should know this man's name. I know his name because I ministered at Brown University, and he was a graduate of Brown University. Very brilliant young man. He was not converted at Brown University, but afterwards he was converted. And he became the first American missionary. So if you, if you Google first American mis- overseas missionary, there were other missionaries to the Indians before him, but he was the first one to go overseas. He was commissioned with his wife by the Baptists, and there were five commissioned, but he and Anne Judson were the first ones to go. They went to India to William Carey, and then they were sent to Burma. <coughs> They're missionaries to Burma. Seven years he labored trying to translate the Bible. And over seven years, he had no convert. No one became a Christian. He, was, he translated the Bible, and he had a translation of the Bible. There was some kind of riot and persecution. They were, they were favored to Westerners at one time, but then they started to take the favor away, and there were a lot of conflicts, and he was imprisoned. And someone had to hide his manuscript, his only copy, of the work that he was doing, the translation. It was hidden in the ground somewhere, buried in the ground, not knowing if it would ever be get back to it, found again. And he was in prison, being beaten, and his, uh, his uh, interrogator said to him, mockingly said to him, you know, because he knew that he was there to convert the, convert the people there. And he says, what do you think of your prospects of the conversion of the heathens now? And he is famously to have said, They are as bright as the promises of God. So he had this perspective. And Adoniram Justin, if you you read his biography, it's an incredible biography he's written about his life. He went through deep struggles, even to the degree that he almost lost his faith. And it took the conversion of his brother to bring him out of it. But, um, But he, that statement... He was a great man of faith, too. And uh, he had a great perspective because he saw through the lens of the resurrection, the cross and the resurrection. And so I, I really commend you like, to really look at our current situation to, uh, I think, as Koreans, the Korean-Americans, we should actually... Have a, we can commend the people that have been in history, but in a sense, we should have a low view to what man can do. When we start to think, you know, like I know Koreans like, Harsuita, <laughs> we can do it. You know, that, that can be, if, we said, if God helping us, we can do it, that's a great statement. But if we just say, we can do it because we're Koreans. That's spiritual pride. That will kill us. So we have to have a low view of what man can do, but a high view of what God can do through us. And when we have that, we can envision a better future, whatever our situation. I wrote down four things, and we can discuss on this, in the PCA, this is where there are about, I would say, I'll use the term 12%. 12% of the PCA is Korean American. I think that's a fair statistic. 
However, Koreans in the PCA, in the wider PCA, I would say right now we are seen more as guests than really part of the family. So we are kind of like with a green card, <laughs> not with the citizenship. We are resident aliens rather than citizens. And I, you could disagree with that. You know, not everybody might think like that. But if I were to look at our situation today, both in the way the predominantly Anglo looks at the Koreans and as the way Koreans kind of see themselves in the PCA, we are more guests than part of the family. And I believe that has to change where we feel like we're part of the family. These are our brothers and sisters. And they consider us the same way. Because we are. We're PCA. We're part of the family. So we need to go from a guest mentality to a more family mentality. And part of that is showing up at GA, having people in permanent committees, people like Lord Kim or Henry, Henry Ko interacting in the committees and in the structures of our denomination is so important, very important. And then ethnicity and diversity. This is a huge issue that uh, I think there is a committee, I forget, uh, there's a committee formed to deal with issues about the PCA and one of, they listed five big issues. I don't know the five, but I know one of them. The one is diversity. It's a big issue of focus. So PCA needs to become more diverse. There are about less than 50 African-American pastors in the PCA. I met one of them at a meeting and I told him, I was talking to him, and I jokingly said to him, you know, I said, Koreans are the blacks of the PCA. Because <laughs> the black, uh, African Americans are about 12-13% of the American population. We are about 12-13%. <laughs> blacks, African Americans in the PCA are like less than 1%. <laughs> Koreans are less than 1% in, the, in America. <laughs> so I said, you are like the Koreans. We're like the in a sense of, um, <laughs> um, so we have a particular place. If the PCA is going to deal with the race issue, even though there's obviously it's black, Hispanic, that's the culture. But in the PCA, if they don't rightly deal with the Koreans, we're not dealing with race. Because who is the biggest minority in the PCA? The Koreans. So our relationship with the PCA is so important to help the wider PCA get out of this mono-ethnic, you know, this lack of diversity thing that's keeping PCA becoming more vibrant in the culture. So our participation, our ethnicity, our particularity, distinctiveness, and participation so it's not either or. It's not being assimilated or kind of just being to ourselves. It's both. Where we can say, yes, I'm a Korean. I'm in a Korean language presbytery. But I'm also part of the PCA. I'm part of the family. And it's not either or. It's not assimilation. You know, the melting. It's not a melting pot. It's a mosaic. It's different pieces that are together. But together. So ethnicity and diversity. And there's a, actually, I was going to show you this video. But... Uh, because of time, I won't have the time to do it. But 
if you send me your email, I'll link you. There's a great video done by InterVarsity Christian Fellowship where there's a Korean guy, I forgot his name, but there's a Korean guy, a Korean-American guy, who presents this great talk about why do we have Asian Christian Fellowship and not just you know, University Christian Fellowship, you know, the you know, Brown University Christian Fellowship. Why do you have ethnically distinct groups? And he makes a great case for it, having ethnic distinctions you know, about how we need to be bridging. You know, cause if, wh- why? Because if we just say, get rid of Korean language presbyteries, how many Koreans will be part of the PCA? Very few. But Korean language presbyteries allows for a lot more Koreans to come in, and that's a good thing. And so we need ethnically distinct things to reach out broad, you know, reach out to the different groups, but we need to have them connected to the whole body. So that, so ethnicity and diversity. And we need to have a spirit of mutual learning. Because uh, as Koreans, we, we have things that we can learn from the, our uh, Amer- Anglo brothers. Or being part of the GA. I, I've, I've been working at the AC office for one year. I've learned so much just being part of it. But I can tell you, there's a lot they need to learn from me. They need to learn from Koreans as well. And so there's a lot of mutual learning that we, we need to have, a spirit of a mutual cooperation. And then, if I were to say, uh, what are the issues beyond the Koreans in the PCA? And I share this with some of the uh, uh, you know, non-Korean people in the PCA, and I'll say... Um, what are, you know, to what are the two biggest problems that kind of keep PCA from really making a big impact in, in our culture? And uh, I say one is race, the way we deal with race and diversity. The other is, uh, whether this is true or not, it's probably more true than not true, that we are focusing on minors than on the majors. So a lot of our discussion seems to be focused on things that people don't even know what's the issue. Insider movement. I'm not saying these issues aren't important, but insider movement, intention. Most Koreans don't even know what this, most people, a lot of people don't even know what they mean and how they really connect to bigger issues. So the Koreans need to be involved in this. Not so that we can get into the minor debates, but our involvement also will help the PCA focus on major debates. You know, the things that concern God, views of God that are shifting. And, you know, insider movement, all these things has to deal with that. You know, if it's views of God, then that's what's important. The gospel is at stake, understanding of the gospel. And the Great Commission, you know, are we mobilized to be able to fulfill the Great Commission. And so, uh, my hope is that if you really think about this list, it's really not necessarily specific to Koreans, but I'm hoping that, uh, you know, the Koreans would be more, uh, the term that I like to use is out of the shadows. That's the term I've been using. That we are kind of in the shadows and we kind of sometimes like the shadow because we can do our own thing. But we need to come out of the shadows. Not so that we don't do our own thing. We, should, we can still do our own thing. But we do our own thing while we're out in the open. 
Because if you look at the operational world, we think people don't know what's going on with Koreans. They know what's going on with Koreans. They know our problems. But that's okay. That's why we believe the cross. We have problems, but Jesus died for our sins. And we believe in the resurrection. So is there hope for the Korean church in Korea? Is there hope for Korean church in America? Statistics, uh, immigration is flatlining. You know, there are a lot of negative things. What's going to happen with the second generation? Is there going to be any? What's your prospect for the conversion of heathens? They are as bright as the promises of God. What's the prospect for the PCA? What's the prospect for Korean Americans in the PCA? They are as bright as the promises of God. God has given us a great legacy in the Korean church. There are great legacies in the Chinese church, in the Burmese church, as I talked about, Adoniram Judson, other churches, great missionary works that are being done right now. And we need to appreciate those things. Not for our own spiritual pride, but to see God has worked in Korea. And that's a blessing. And this is a contribution we can make to the PCA to become more diverse, but also more united in the gospel, more united on the majors. You can hear more talks like this by subscribing to the Gifts and Graces podcast. You can also hear more content like this by attending a seminar at General Assembly. They are free and open to the public. Find out times and locations by visiting pcaga.org. Thanks for listening to Gifts and Graces.